1: The story of the UK is an economy that has got real momentum. What is broken can be repaired. What is ruined can be rebuilt. UK inflation is becoming much more homegrown. We have huge potential as an economy in the UK.
2: This is a time to tell Israel there is a path to peace. Our plan
3: for the British economy is working, but the work is not done. You're listening to Bloomberg UK Politics. I'm Ewan Potts.
4: And I'm Caroline Hepke. Welcome to the programme.
3: Caroline, I want to start the show with a number today, Mm. 745,000. Now, I reckon that's one of the most significant numbers in politics this year. That was the revised estimate for net migration to the UK... In 2022 that was released uh, last month you remember the headlines many headlines and much discussion Mm -hmm. and it was by some distance the highest number ever recorded.
4: Having said that the net migration numbers did start to decline this year the provisional figure for the year to June is actually uh, 672 India Nigeria, China and Pakistan are the top origin countries of people coming to the UK which I was sort of quite surprised to read which is why I mention it and today we want to explore a bit around these issues and immigration, a debate which has never really been far from the headlines.
3: Yeah, of course, Rishi Sunak started this off by uh, uh, making stop stopping the boats, one of his uh, t- top five pledges at the beginning mm. of the year. So he, just, he decided to frame his year with immigration being one of the key issues. And it's never really been out of the headlines, has it? It's been something which has mm. been in and out of the headlines, really throughout the year.
4: Yeah, the year, but also probably the last 40 years. I mean, immigration uh, is you know often seen as this kind of central issue around even the whole idea of the nation state.
3: Yeah, I was looking at some of the polling, actually, and uh, as long as we've been asking that question, which, as you say, goes back decades rather than years, people have always said there are too many people coming to the UK. Hmm. Now, the proportion of people who say that there are too many people goes up and down a lot. It doesn't really seem... To correlate with the actual numbers coming which i think is quite interesting as well and actually the side evidence that the saliency over the course of this year has actually declined a little despite the numbers uh, going up in the last couple of years so it's, it's not a straightforward correlation
4: no which is fascinating also when you think about you know whether it is also linked to economic insecurity and especially given the cost of living crisis that we've had so, so again you know, the statistics are quite sort of complex on on this issue
3: yeah and i think a lot of the polling suggests that people are keen for immigration to be controlled. I think a lot of people uh, are unhappy that it feels that immigration is sometimes uh, not really being controlled by the government. And if perhaps uh, the UK was better to better get a grip on where people are coming and mm. why they're coming, then some people at least will be happier.
4: Yeah. Well, look, leaders from across the political spectrum have been grappling with this issue for decades. Here's a reminder of what some have said.
3: Net migration needs to come down radically from hundreds of thousands a year to just tens of thousands. And as we bring net migration down, so we must also make sure that Britain continues to benefit from it.
5: It's, yeah, it six months, six months. You, you uh, can't say anything about the immigrants because you're saying that you're... you're, no. you're well, all these Eastern Europeans, what are coming in?
1: Everything, she's just sort of bigoted woman.
5: The British people deserve to know which party is serious about stopping... The invasion of our southern
1: coast. I think people will start to make the connection that the reason there's a housing crisis is mass immigration. The reason they can't get a GP appointment
3: is mass immigration. The reason their lives are more miserable than they were 10 years ago, their
1: quality of life is diminishing, is because of the population crisis and explosion.
4: So that was David Cameron there talking about immigration. There was also Gordon Brown, Suella Braverman uh, coming to more recent times. And then also Nigel Farage, of course, um, also fairly central, you know, with his leadership around UKIP uh, on this issue also.
3: Yeah, Gordon Brown in the 2010 election, a reminder, of course, that uh, it was an election issue going back uh, 13 years and, of course, uh, way before that uh, as well.
4: Mm. And it's been a week where migration has again captured the headlines globally because the EU is hailing what it is calling an historic deal to combat illegal migration into Europe and in France. There are questions though about how constitutional governments' new reforms are there and there's been already quite a fierce backlash for the EU uh, regulations which have been a long time in the planning but have now emerged just this week.
3: Yeah, really important deal. We're going to get more on that shortly. Here in the UK plans to deport illegal migrants to Rwanda, still shrouded in controversy after being ruled illegal by the Supreme Court. What's worth noting that uh, we're talking about all of this in a week where junior doctors are planning to go on another strike and NHS mm. uh, waiting lists are near record levels. So really interesting to uh, discuss the uh, the, the, the uh, connection between immigration uh, and public services, both negative and positive.
4: Yeah, I want to get more detail though. Firstly, on migration is not just an issue in Britain; it is also one for the whole of Europe. EU countries have, for the first time, agreed on a migration pact, including significant new regulations to tighten asylum rules. As Europe tries to restrict migration, human rights groups have been critical, saying that it will lead to more deaths and a surge in suffering, in quotes. Uh, it also follows a law passed by French uh, the French Parliament that restricts migrants' access to things like welfare and also uh, increase rules around citizenship. Joining us now to discuss is Bloomberg's reporter based in Brussels, usually, Max Ramsey. But Max is actually with us in the London radio studio today. Really good to see you, Max. Just firstly, talk us through the pact on asylum and migration. This does seem to be a major new agreement. What does it involve?
6: Yes. And look, this has been a very challenging uh, discussion, debate within the EU. They have finally come up with this deal, this is a deal between the Member States and the Parliament that's just been agreed this week. There's still some technical work to do, um, and then it does still need to be formally approved, but really we've passed the major step. And it's a very wide-ranging package. It includes everything from tightening the borders, border security, um, in, You know, introduces new ways of screening, biometric screening of asylum seekers, people arriving at the borders and you know I think what's particularly interesting and has really been the controversial part of this package is what to do in situations of crisis when countries say they're facing a crisis of migration mm. it includes measures uh when a country says this that would include actually being able to redistribute migrants from countries that are receiving more this would be countries you know on the mediterranean Italy France Greece two countries you know particularly those in Eastern Europe that are uh, receiving fewer migrants. So, you know, really this would uh, ensure that these countries that are struggling with the issue of migration are able to, you know, be be eased in the burden Mm. of that. And countries that don't want to take You know, are not willing to accept redistribution of migrants will have to pay. There, there is this solidarity contribution. So, I mean, you know, the EU has really hailed this as a massive step to trying to tackle what is a huge
3: political
6: issue for the bloc.
3: So it seems to me that that was the heart of the deal, wasn't it? Is you take migrants, or if you don't want to take migrants, you take the cash. Because of course, a number of countries, Denmark, uh, Hungary, Poland, and others, particularly in the east. Who are not keen to to have more immigration? How difficult was it to get 27 countries to agree on
6: all of this? And in fact, they didn't manage to get 27 countries to agree on this. Of course, EU decision making is, you know, very uh, well like confusing to, to say the most. But uh, you know, this decision was done w- among the EU member states by qualified majority. Mm. So in fact, they did not get 27 uh-huh. unanimous agreements. Poland and Hungary did not agree to this and have been very critical of course Poland now has a new government so that the issue of Poland has been you know to some extent Solved. The Tusk government seems to be uh, supportive of this, but Hungary still, Viktor Orbán's administration is still against this deal. But they don't need his agreement uh, to pass it. You know what happens with Hungary will be interesting. It'll be difficult. They, you know, he's not able to. Viktor Orbán is not able to block this in the way that we saw him block, um, you know, the Ukraine aid discussions. Um, but he can, of course, make things difficult. And he has said, you know, he is not going to take uh, voluntary redistributions, mm. so and he's not going to pay.
3: Thank you, Max. Max. So brussels watcher max Ramsey uh hot uh, hot footing it from the uh, belgian capital um yeah really interesting i heard somebody speaking on the radio yesterday about this deal suggesting that uh, it would mean far fewer migrants arriving in in calais so that mm. would be an irony wouldn't it if the, if the eu ended up uh, helping to solve the uk's issues over immigration whether that happens or not i i think is not yet clear but an interesting thought
4: yeah well we don't know whether that you know, might uh, affect things I mean of course despite Brexit the immigration policy uh, here in the UK requires some degree of cooperation with other European countries but the EU itself is dealing with conflicting priorities and opinions and we actually recently spoke to Baroness Catherine Ashton on this subject she is a Labour life peer but she's been deeply involved in European politics uh, the European Union's first high representative for foreign affairs and security policy she was also the first female eu commissioner for trade as it happens and we spoke to her about the issue of of migration started by asking her if she thinks that european countries are actually experiencing a shift perhaps based around
5: immigration but a shift further into right wing politics there's always an election somewhere Hmm. in europe 28 then countries now 27 you were always in a cycle And it's very difficult to take a snapshot at any given moment. It will give you a false impression. So if you look now, we've got Poland with Donald Tusk. You couldn't get more European than the former president of the European Council. You've got the Netherlands with what will happen there. We don't quite know. You've got Slovakia, Mm. but he's been in government twice before. So he's a known quantity. And of course, you've got Hungary with Viktor Orban, who has been the most consistently challenging member when it comes to, for example, support for Ukraine. look across and it's very difficult to give a real clear picture that says it's moving right. It could be. Mm. We know that there are, you know, Italy. Uh, We know that there are issues about what happens. And so you don't detect
4: anything unique about the situation around fortress Europe and and really the increased focus on immigration. I mean, that's
5: one particular issue, but you don't detect a right would move on that front. I think in terms of uh, immigration, Mm -hmm. it is something that is stoking a move to the right and it's being used by the right to stoke. move to them. So it's an issue that people are concerned about. They're concerned about it because what they see is greater numbers of people on the move and with climate change we're likely to see more people on the move. A lot of them will not come anywhere near Europe. Most of it's happening on continents, particularly on Africa Um, but we will see People wanting to come to Europe. And that inevitably is an issue that political parties are going to have to show that they've thought about and they have a good response to. Mm. And in the EU, the big challenge is between southern states who are on the receiving end mm. of lots of people and under the current rules people remain in the country in which they first arrive and the northern states and how far they're prepared to support the southern states both by taking people and by being willing to support and fund what's going to be necessary and you've seen all the machinations going on in Brussels. And
1: we've seen the today. proximity between the UK Prime Minister Rishi Sunak and his counterpart in Italy Maloney and their attempts to forge pretty controversial plans around uh, dealing with with the immigration uh, challenges. Uh, We've we've seen immigrants come from Ukraine, of course, and broadly welcomed at the start of the conflict. You mentioned Viktor Orban, who's been standing in the way of this funding that's so desperately needed for Ukraine to pursue its counter-offensives against those Russian forces. What is your expectation? Do you think Europe essentially and ultimately gets this across the line? Is he grandstanding to unlock funds that Hungary is looking for itself? Is this a domestic political play by him? Ultimately, do you think the EU managed to get this across the line?
5: I think they will. Um, I mean, Victor Auburn likes the benefits of membership very much, but doesn't like to do the stuff that actually would make a difference to others, either in the EU or outside the EU. And um, if necessary, what you will have is a it's an a sort of outside of the eu structure an agreement between the other countries to produce the funds for ukraine with the commission supporting that i mean there were lots of ways around it europe and the institutional framework looks very rigid when you first look at it, but they're very good at coming up with ways of fixing things or changing things. There is a problem more generally when you've got one country able to hold up something that all of the other countries feel is really important. But let me just make one note of caution. I don't think it's true in this case. But on other issues, sometimes when a country seems to be the only one causing a problem, there are other countries breathing a sigh of relief that they don't have to. So not on this, because I think genuinely this is Victor Orban and Hungary holding out on their own. Mm. But what you sometimes see as one country holding out is actually not quite as simple as that.
1: And, and briefly, your expectation about the relationship between the UK and Europe in the event that we get a Labour government here in the UK. Do you see a significant, do you see a dramatic improvement in that relationship?
5: Not dramatic, but significant. I think there will be on both sides, if you like. It's an opportunity to kind of have a different conversation not trapped in the conversations of the past. I think there will be a desire to, on foreign and security policies, have stronger relations. I see David Cameron, by the way, moving in that direction anyway, but I think more so. And I do think economically, there'll be an attempt to try and make some of the difficult friction go away and actually find ways to collaborate more effectively.
4: So that was Baroness Catherine Ashton there discussing her thoughts on the inner workings then of EU diplomacy and her views on migration. Of course, this whole issue of migration for the EU, but also for the UK, may also come under growing pressure because of... Global conflicts, but also climate change, the issue of people being displaced and moving around the world. Is it possible, though, that discussing immigration in all its forms uh, politically? Is it possible to do that without causing division, to do it more openly, perhaps more frankly or more sensibly? Joining us now to discuss is Samuel Kusuma, who is former special advisor to Boris Johnson on the civil society and communities brief. He also served as a member of the Race Disparity Audit Advisory Board under Theresa May when she was prime minister. Samuel, welcome to the programme.
2: Hi, thanks for having me.
4: Do you think that the current discourse on immigration has the potential to make people feel like outsiders? You've written a book called The Power of the Outsider that discusses exactly this, identity, and uh, the issues around this for society.
2: Yeah, I think it's... uh, You know, the reality is we have always had uh, people from... Different parts of the world moving around. Um, and, and in fact, part of the reason why we've had many of the successes we've had as a as a Western world, for want of a better term, is because of the role of migration. Having said that, we know that um, there are increasing pressures on public services because of things like an ageing population, uh, pressures by inflation, housing, etc. And so, you know, there is a, a way to this discuss immigration that focuses on, yes, the benefits and the need, but also the need to have control over how uh, people are moving around. And I I think there is a way to have a very mature conversation about this that doesn't necessarily isolate individuals that might feel like, you know, they are outsiders as a result. Um, What I would also say is being an outsider is not necessarily a bad thing. So, you know, you, you can move somewhere, feel like an outsider and still feel like you can flourish
3: is it further to that is there a good way for politicians to to broach the issue clearly it's something which politicians have been discussing a lot over the past uh, year or two are are there there better ways to to discuss the issue
2: i think what the public want to see is that uh, their politicians have control over uh, immigration um, and their immigration policy works and so you know, the average citizen in a place like Britain and I would argue in, in the US and and other developing or developed countries uh, just want to see that, you know, there is some kind of intentionality around how people are coming in and out of their their country and I think that is a very reasonable expectation. And so politicians uh, very often find themselves in a position where perhaps they're not as in control as they, they should be or could be for various reasons. And so they choose to dial up the rhetoric to compensate for their failures. And so we, we've seen that you know, very often in, 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 the, in the UK where a politician will overpromise and, and will borderline demonise folks who, who choose to migrate to, to Britain for a better life or to add value to our country. And, and what they're really trying to do is mask the fact that you know a lot of their promises have not been delivered on. So, for example, David Cameron, when he became prime minister, promised to reduce uh net migration to tens of thousands and clearly he he was not successful in in achieving that and various home secretaries have had similar promises not delivered on and so you know the challenge for a lot of politicians is well if i can't deliver how else can i demonstrate that i i can understand the sentiment in uh, amongst Mm. many citizens and then they choose to you know ramp up the rhetoric as a result
4: I mean, surely that must be is what is happening with Rishi Sunak, um, given that we gave the statistics at the start of the programme about net migration, um, you know, reaching very high levels um, mm-hmm. and the sort of emphasis on increasingly difficult policies, ones that have been rejected in the courts like the Rwanda Bill. That's surely the point at which we are in, you know, even more acutely now.
2: Yeah, I mean, the reality is um, the main reason why... Uh, the migration figures are so high, um, and I think, you know, over one million people arriving on the shores of any country uh, could reasonably be be uh, we, we qualified as as mass migration. But the reason why the figures are so high are because of political choices. You know, we chose, rightly or wrongly, to welcome um, uh, folks from Ukraine because of the war. We, we chose to uh, bring folks from Hong Kong uh, because of the tensions over, over there with China. We chose... Um, to have a points-based system and a shortage occupation list that was very relaxed, that allowed folks to come to fill some of our jobs in health and social care. These mm. were all political choices, arguably based on need, but nonetheless, they were choices. The vast majority of the people that arrive, arrive legally. And so the tension that we have now is the realities of need versus the realities of the, sen- the, the feelings of, of fear and, and mm. insecurity because of some of the wider challenges that our economies has had. And so, you know, Rwanda's case in point, you know, it's very heavy on the rhetoric. And, you know, even if people could legally be sent to Rwanda, um, the, the volumes would no, be nowhere near as high as needed to really make a dent on our net migration figures. And
0: so, yeah.
2: again, this is the tension between rhetoric and reality. that, yeah.
4: to, And, to, and they're two uh, different... They're two different sets of figures, aren't they? One is for um, you know, people coming in legally to the country, perhaps to work or other things. Um, and and uh, the other is for asylum seekers or what some call illegal migrants. Um, I want to ask you that you were the most senior black advisor in Boris Johnson's government in 2021. So I'm really interested to understand if you if it's fair to talk about issues like race playing a part in forming opinions around immigration.
2: Um, I I think I, I mean I don't think so because um you know we, we have a, a a Prime Minister of Asian heritage, the last I think three or four uh, home secretaries have been black or or Asian. Um, the most we've had under Boris Johnson the most diverse cabinet in, in, in British history. And so the fears around immigration, certainly in, in the British context Uh, to a large extent, is around the economic pressures that people are experiencing and um, maybe the ease in trying to identify immigration as the key factor driving how people think or feel. Maybe 10, 20 years ago, um, the fact that people were different in terms of how they look might have been a more significant factor, but I don't think that is a... The, the the main driver right now. Clearly, for some people, it will be a driver, but I think for the majority of Brits who are uncomfortable about the levels of migration, it's it's got less to do with even dare I say it this idea of you know, cultural integration, and more to do with the economic uh, reality that they are facing and, and needing to find you know a reason or a scapegoat mm-hmm. for that.
3: Samuel, Britain's had a lot of immigration in recent years. What's your judgment about how we're doing as a multi-ethnic society in comparison with some of our European neighbours?
2: I mean, we're clearly more advanced than pretty much all of our European neighbours in the sense that, you know, you go to London, um, for example, it's a, it's a, an epicentre for multiculturalism, I would argue. You've got people from all walks of life, um, uh, races, classes, religions, all in that place and the majority of the people there get along and and live side by side, maybe perhaps not as integrated as I would like, but certainly, you know, relatively harmoniously. Having said that, we still have a long way to go. And and the challenge is, because we're so far ahead of our European counterparts, you go to places like France, and and it's like a a, a completely different world to what what we experience in the UK. Um, But because we're so far ahead, very often some people feel like that gives room for us being allowed to be complacent but there's still so much more for us to do as I say we might live relatively harmoniously side by side but we're not as integrated as, as we could be and of course inequality still exists in many respects because of various factors including of course people experiencing racism um, but you know uh, again I, I, I always try, try to remind you that we've made so much progress and actually for us to make more progress it is not just the responsibility of politicians But all of us as citizens have to do our bit to try and make sure that we reach out to folks that we might not understand or typically hang out with, that we learn about how different people do life and we try and find ways to um, find common ground where it might Mm. seem like there are divides.
4: Samuel, thank you so much for being with us today. Samuel Kasumu is former special advisor to Boris Johnson on the Civil Society and Communities Brief. A really interesting conversation. He's also the author of the book, The Power of of The Outsider. Well, that's it from us for today, our conversation around immigration. If you like the programme, don't forget to subscribe. Give it five stars so that other people can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you listen.
3: And do join us tomorrow for a look back at the eventful year of British politics with Kitty Donaldson, our UK political editor. Today's episode was produced by Tiwa Adebayo and our audio engineer was Max Green. I'm Ewan Potts.
4: And I'm Caroline Hepker. This is Bloomberg.